you know, she'll be the girl that she is. And uh, so I just uh, add, add her to the list as well. As we come to our time in God's Word, worshiping through His Word, we, we come to the book of 1 Samuel. And um, we, it's an interesting book in a lot of ways. In the Hebrew Old Testament, 1 Samuel is the book right after Judges. In our modern uh, collection of scripture, we, we have Ruth next. And it's somewhat fitting. They both take place in uh, about the same time period. It is during the time of the Judges. Both have important uh, lessons to learn, as we would see. And so we will be in 1 Samuel this week, next week, maybe Labor Day weekend, uh, as I try to figure and discern where we're going. And then starting on September 12th, you may want to invite this down. You can uh, maybe invite somebody. We are going to start probably a six to eight week series on the evil, suffering, and where God can be found in the midst of it. As we remember 20 years uh, after September 11th, and the question of evil and suffering is still uh, just as important uh, today as it was then, as it was at the time of Scripture. And so I uh, just know we're going to do that, so you can invite someone to join us in person or online, or if you know you're going to miss uh, some of this, uh, it's always archived on our website. Uh, you can watch the messages, watch the whole services, or you can uh, watch just uh, or listen to just the message online uh, with that. But we come to uh, this time, and uh, we, I think, are meant to ask this question. When you get done with the book of Judges, you're supposed to kind of ask the question, maybe, if things are going to work, and they're not. Uh, that's kind of how today's going to go. It's not. The question we are to ask is, what is God up to? What is God up to next? What is God going to be up to in the days and weeks ahead? And with, yeah. with what is going on in our world, when we get through with the book of Judges, the question of what is God going to do? It's a question we're all kind of asking. It's, it's the question where, where people are saying directly and indirectly. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it directly. What's God going to do next? I'm hearing it indirectly of what is next in our world? What, what will uh, we have? It's the question that as judges in 1 Samuel were being compiled together, probably after the kings to some extent, it wasn't compiled as the history as we know it, where it happened, someone was there writing on a scroll as things happened. But later, as instruction to the nation of Israel, as they're looking back on their history, as they're trying to figure out in a period of exile, what is God up to then? They were to turn into judges and sin. And you get done and you wonder, will God continue? Has God given up on his people? Has God just kind of relinquished, as some would say? You can't know him anymore. He's distant. Just forget about him. And in the end, it's the end. And we'll all figure it out. And we read in 1 
understand what that answer is. I believe that part of the answer to that question is this. We are in a time of transition. In fact, for Samuel, is a book of transition. Transitioning from a time of judgeship and, and tribal uh, leaders leading one another to a transition into the kingdoms, the kings of Saul and David and Solomon and the divided kingdom. We too are in a time of transition. Now, I'm not one who tries to sit back and speculate on what will happen. I read those who do. If you are interested in that, a couple of names you could jot down would be Tom Rainer, his son Sam and Art Rainer, his son Sam and Art Rainer, a guy by the name of Harry Newhoff. Uh, good luck spelling that. I see on my screen. I spelled it wrong, but I know how to pronounce it. Uh, you know, fortunately, you guys don't see what I see. Uh, I know all my mistakes. Uh, but, but there are those and others. Who, who have, I think, a greater wisdom than I will ever have to see where we are going. But I, I'm 100% certain we are in a time of transition. How long this transition will take, I don't know. Could it be a year, five years, ten years, a hundred years? I don't know. But we are in pivotal moments in the era of the church and in our nation and in our world. But I know this, as much as we are in a time of transition, transitions are important and also necessary. During one of my dark times in life, during a transitional time in my life, I read the book by Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. And I would recommend that to any of you all. And one of, the, one of his theories, one of his points in the whole book is that at times we need to be intentional about ending something so we can transition into something else. Some of the times in life when you may be there, we get stuck because we fail to close out a chapter. Because we're unsure of what the next chapter will be. And there's some truth in that. We do not like as human beings the unknown. But sometimes, and I think we will see it time and time again in Scripture if we would open our eyes, that it is important for us to stop and to move forward. Not moving on as if past, as if something hasn't happened, but moving forward in hopes of what God has in store. And I can't give you all my lessons. Maybe that will be a sermon series uh, one of these years. But I believe we are different. And I also believe this. God works in the seasons of transition. God is not caught off guard by transitions. God is not caught off guard when his people go, Where are you, O Lord? In fact, he sometimes, it's not that he waits. He waits until we've gotten enough and dark enough and get down deep enough. We've hit our proverbial rock bottom where we will finally look up and say, How long, O Lord? And it's as if in those moments, he says, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this moment. In the darkness of judgments, we are left wondering, will the nation just destroy itself? In the darkness that you may be experiencing physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally, 
or one of the others that I cannot think of. Know this, God may still work. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, the call of God on our lives today, in the season of transition, is the same as the call of God that is in our lives when we know certain and fully what He is doing. And that is this, to be faithful in the midst of the unknown. In our times of prosperity, it's easy to kind of know. It is in the unknown that the call doesn't change. In the midst of the uncertainty, we read these words in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathite, a Zufite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elanai, son of Jeroham, and we'll go on, I'm not going to try to pronounce those, he had two wives, one Bogana and the other Peninnah, or Peninnah. Say that five times real fast. Peninnah had children, and Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went out from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where two sons of Eli were the priests. And we see his faithfulness. In the midst of the period of the judges, in the midst when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, we get the scene that though we would like to say everyone, the writers of scripture weren't taking account and went to door to door to say, okay, John, are you serving the Lord? Let me look for five years. And, and oh, can't say everyone, just most. You know, or or oh Pastor Ken, are you oh Pastor Ken's still there? I better redact what I said. They're putting words like that in broad terms to get the point that this is not the norm. This faithfulness is not the norm. And in the book of Judges, we know that to be the case. But we know this, and I say it consistently to myself. God is never without a witness. His witness may be all of creation. That's why creation to some extent exists, to make known who God is. But I also believe that God always has a witness in humanity, in you and me. And he works incarnational, meaning in human beings like you and me. And you want to know who God uses? God uses the faithful. God uses the faithful, which means he uses those who are consistent. Ephanah does this year after year after year. Sometimes we wonder, why is God not using me? And we sometimes forget that God might be. But I wonder, if part of what I need to do when I wonder, is God not using me anymore? But the question needs to be, am I still being consistently faithful to him year after year after year, even though nothing's changed? How can I go year after year after year? I wonder how many others may not have been there. Did he notice? I mean, he's close. He, let's be honest. He was having to go from the northern part all the way down. It wasn't that big of a struggle. But you know what? He still showed up. Consistently. And, and this is the festival. This is the festival. It's the fall festival. It's the Feast of the Tabernacles, most likely. We're to remind God of a harvest. Remember the fact that God had taken them out of Egypt. And I wonder if there were times when Elkanah and the other faithful ones thought, did he save us for this? Is this the promised land? Is this what God had in mind? And I bet they rest 
the top. It's human nature to talk. I sure hope. I sure hope God didn't save us from Egypt just so we could destroy ourselves. I sure hope God didn't save us from Egypt so we could just divide ourselves up. Is there going to be hope? Where's our hope come from? And in the midst of this faithfulness, we see that faithfulness isn't always easy. Because not only is Elkanah faithful, but his family is. And we read about Hannah here. Hannah is childless. And some of you can relate. Some of you can relate to those words right there. Your heart's desire is to be a mother or a father. Your heart's desire is to raise someone up, and yet that has not been the plan. That hasn't been the idea. Fortunately, we've gotten a little bit further out from the culture of her sanity. Because in that day, Hannah, when, when Elkanah is dead, she's a destitute. Unless the rest of the family will take care of her. And they did. There's a chance. But we start to read in these opening chapters that her Bible, the other wife, and I, or Peninnah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And Hannah has to learn how to respond to being provoked. But Hannah continues to be faithful. She continues to go with her husband. Also in those days, the fact that Hannah is childless, but some other wife can bear children, it's an idea that there's something wrong with her. They knew that, I mean, they weren't terribly dumb, to put it crassly. They knew the mechanics of birth. But there was also an idea of wonder if Hannah had sinned in her early days, because God's blessing was children upon children. She must be best up. She is vulnerable. We sang this morning about how we're willing to turn our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses to God. And here Hannah has, to some extent, the greatest weakness of all. The greatest brokenness of all. No, children. None. Zilt. No, hope. And in the midst of that, if that wasn't hard enough, she has to learn how to respond to when life reminds her of her brokenness. Do I think Hananiah was probably blatant? Probably at times. I mean, it's kind of hard to miss when you go up. And, and Elkanah has to take out, this is a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving for what God has done, and he portions out, and he gets some, and then I get some, and her child gets some, and the next child, and the next child, and if you're here, and you're sitting there, and you're just reminded, I messed up, I messed up, I'm broken, I'm broken. Lord, win. There's that kind, but I think Hanani would also go, huh, you see my kids? Hannah, where's yours? I'm providing for our husband. I think it was late at times, but I think it was also just a reminder at times. Haven't you maybe been there? Someone just, they know how to dig just a little bit. You really kind of just want to throw your hands and you want to give back to them everything you've been taking. Yet, Hannah 
moments, through the pages of Scripture, we see that she learns to not respond harshly. Oh, the patience, the long-suffering. Oh, the willingness in the midst of being provoked and irritated to not flash back. As I was preparing and finalizing things this morning, this reminded me, I hope it reminds you, of someone else in the middle of being provoked, being prodded, literally being slapped, and having his hairs plucked out would not return harshly. Well, it was, it's the example of our Lord who did not respond harshly at his moment of being provoked again and again and again. What if you and I, in this moment of transition, when we will be provoked by just the way the world is, and when we will be plotted by those who don't understand our faith, to try to get us to say something not very smart, if we would be a hand in these moments and keep our mouths shut. When it's easy to go online, and attack. When it's easy to go to the other person and just let them have to sit back and stop. That doesn't change Hannah's situation, does it? We read on that Hannah slips or slides into this depression that after being irritated, they went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival would provoke her some more until she wept and she would not eat. This is I don't want to say clinical depression, but this is, it's getting bad, folks. It's getting bad. And sometimes we need to understand, even as people of faith, even as we are being faithful, there will be darkness that will come. And it's not a sign that you're unspiritual that darkness comes. It's a sign that we live in a broken world, that you and I are broken. you and I can't do it alone. But what I love about her faithfulness, and even those of you who this day are in the middle of the darkest part of wherever you may be, she continually year after year after year goes to the presence of the Lord. Don't let the darkness that is surrounding you get you from being where God is. And I know God is not in the building. Okay? But there is something about when you gather the presence of God with other people that, that light can shine through. And sometimes in our darkness we do some things that do not help. We cease to be with others. We cease to read God's word. And we cease to be at the place where God shows up. In this case, the place of Shiloh. And I don't say this as... as to, to heap shame on some of you that have been in this, that are, are in this. But if every time I was in a darkness, I, I hid out, and I didn't just sometimes just do it because that's what I was supposed to do, I would have quit ministry 20 years ago. I've only been in ministry 21. Well, maybe not have been made it past year one, let alone five and a half plus years here. We've got to continue on. 
That's the faithfulness. That's the consistency God desires from you, from me. This consistency of walking one step at a time. And as we move forward in this story, we know that easy answers won't get it. One of the guys I read with Old Testament, you may want to pick up his resources in this day and age where you can poop check me all the time. One of the resources I read to get ideas is The Old Testament for Everyone by John Golden Gale. It's a summary of all Old Testament, and I, I normally get some kind of nuggets from it. So don't ever think when I preach it's all original ideas. No, it's original. I'm just packaging back together. And I can always give you a list of the things I read. Old Testament for everyone is one, and then the NIV application commentary is one. That you can get those yourself. You will see what I get, though I do would say it's unique in the idea of I sift everything together by prayer to do this. I never borrow someone else's work without doing extensive work myself. He talks about in this area where I say easy answers won't cut it, how not to be empathic, how not to show empathy, part one. And, and I really kind of liked it. I almost just took it out and went no, uh, I don't want one of you to fact check me and, and then we'll have another issue on Hannah. Because here's what Hannah says, or how can I say, I get it. Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? I don't think that's, that's necessarily how not to show empathy. I think there's some goodness there. But he goes on, if we would have just admit, this is probably where we need to learn, if we would just shut up earlier, it'd be better, right? But he goes on to say, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Aren't I more valuable? And it's one of those, if, you know, you get an emoji, it would be face, um, you know, hand in the face, oh, you didn't just say that. He did. Easy answers aren't going to come. But we want easy answers. And all the time, we want easy answers. What is God up to? Give me the easy answer, Pastor. Here's the easy answer. He's up to something. Now, that doesn't help. My point is that. I don't know. And I was just trying to be helpful. We try to be helpful, but, but, but we try to get an easy answer. And sometimes it, what we do with people is we remind them that, well, we, we could do this given our current context. Well, at least we're not in Afghanistan right now. Well, yeah, that's true, but please. I don't compare my darkness to the people of Afghanistan. I know they're greater. I get it. But comparing darkness to darkness only leads to darkness. Sometimes what we got to say is, that stinks, doesn't it? I'm sorry. You know, I don't get it. And sometimes what we have to do is people say, well, I know there are people worse off. Absolutely, but it's a bad be in your situation, isn't it? I mean, when your arm hurts, right? Right? Would it help you if I said, well, you know what? Some people have broken both legs this week, and their pain is worse than your pain. <laughs> you probably want to take that cast and knock me over the side of the hill, wouldn't you? You can admit it. It's okay. <laughs> no, you know what? You do it to my if she said that. Yeah. <laughs> What 
What can we do? If we go on to the storage, I'm just going to minute until I get there. If we go on to the storage, we have how not to be empathic or how not to show empathy part two. With the spiritual leader of the day, with Eli, who's there at the Lord's house, sees Hannah praying, sees, and we'll get to her prayer in just a minute, he, he observes her, and, and he comes up, and we read in verse 13 at the end, he, he, Eli thought she was drunk, let's be honest, not a bad assumption, it's a festival, okay, there's a whole lot of drinking in the Israelite nation at festivals, it was a sign of joy, they always took it too far, and we think we have, no, I'm not going there, uh, all right. And he goes up to her and says, How long are you going to stay drunk, woman? Put away the wine. How not to be empathic, as Golden Gate would say, part two. What he's really saying here, if even his, his question, quit being worthless. She responds, I'm not a wicked person, Eli. See, sometimes we who are the spiritual, we who are the people of God, we in our easy answers will heap on the spiritual shame of, why are you still worthless? Put away your whatever that problem is. Instead, what we need to do is we need to become intentional listeners. How could Elkanah, and especially Eli, remedy it? If you would have just said, hey, what's going on, Hannah? It's the idea of being curious. It's the idea that sometimes we don't need to know the answer. Or even if we know the answer, we don't have to share the answer. I don't always have to tell you how much I know. And you don't always need to hear from me what you need to do. Sometimes, and just laying out your darkness, you find your way out. Sometimes, in expressing your pain and your emotion, God breaks in and you get your way out. But how many times in my life, I have been like an Eli, in all honesty, I have received the words of Eli. And when I've been on receiving it, in my heart, I just shake my heart's head and go, just go away. I don't care. And in my old age of 39, doing this 21 years now, hoping I pick something out, I realize some of you have shirts and socks and other articles of clothing older than me, you know. I probably do too, but I don't wear socks most days, so they, they stay in good shape. Uh, with that. But I think sometimes we just got to be that intentional listener and we just pray the Holy Spirit upon the situation. After all, he's a wonderful counselor. We pray the Holy Spirit who's the light of the word and of the world into people's life and light always breaks into darkness at some point in time. And in so doing, I become and you become for a person who suffers long as well. Does it help? No, sometimes it's worse. But we have to take care of ourselves. And 
So how do we do this? Faithfulness. On the part of Hannah, we read these words that she went to, uh, we, she went into the presence of the Almighty. She prayed to the Lord. She was in deep anguish. She wept bitterly. She pours out her soul. We need to pour out our soul to Jesus. This isn't just a nice, easy prayer. This isn't, as the hymn says, sweet hour of prayer. May, we, may I uh, use that title to change it a little bit to fit the person of Antenna and this, to fit the book of Ruth. This is the bitter hour of prayer. This is the anguishing hour of prayer. This is the hour of prayer that will never go to another hour. She weeps bitterly. She's in deep anguish. She brings it all to the house of the Lord. She brings it all to the Lord. And, and one of the most awesome things in this is not only does she uh, call on the Lord, she calls on the Lord of the army, Yahweh armies, the armies of God. This is the time when they are reminding that God fought for them out of Egypt. When he fought for them as they went through the desert land, she provokes that character of God and says, now I know you can do it. And because I am your servant. Side note, she calls herself the bond slave, the slave of God. And this was not a terrible thing as if the slavery of our modern culture of the 18th, 17th, and 18th, 19th century. This, there was, slavery was this idea that you, you committed to your master and your master committed to you and they took care of one another. And so we need to remind ourselves of that where we, once again, as Paul would say, we are not slaves to this world, but we are slaves to the Lord. And she calls herself a servant. Look at my misery and turn your eyes and do what you did at the Exodus for me again. Boldness in prayer. Boldness in prayer without knowing what was going to happen. The book of Ruth. I love it. Because we, we know of Ruth, we know her mother-in-law by the name of Naomi. She had another name, but Naomi means woman of bitterness, the Lord of the bitter. There are some times that I think we need to have name changes for seasons in life. So others would see what is going on. Maybe we would then listen a little more to one another. She kept on praying. She uttered Words that could not be uttered. Then no one could hear it. We're not Eli in trouble. I love Romans 8. That in our utterances, the Spirit of God takes our utterances, our, our sighs, and interprets that as God is in, as Christ is interceding on our behalf. As Christ scoops up the tears that you and I have. She says, as Eli goes, she says, do not take your servant to be a worthless, wicked woman. What boldness. What boldness Hannah has in her anguish. And even she'll speak to the high priest and like, don't think I'm wicked. Isn't this not what Job says? Don't think I have sinned necessarily. Something there for somebody that I'm with. Given time, I won't be committed. I've been praying here out of great anguish and grief. Pour out your soul to Jesus, but then trust God in the midst of pain. That's 
what Amanda does. She goes on. She receives the blessing. And maybe this is what we ought to pronounce first on people. Go in peace. And may the God of Israel, may Jesus Christ himself grant you what you have asked. And she went out. And she ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. It didn't take away the situation. She went back to realize she had no children, and her rival did. She went back to home where she was reminded that she was broken, that she was weak, that she was not there. But she decided that when you pour your heart out truly to Jesus and to others, something changes. And so trust God in the midst of your pain. I don't know how long the transition time we are in. I don't know how long the transition, the season of darkness that you are in, is in. But I know, because of the passages of Scripture, I know because of what Scripture from Old Testament and New Testament says, there is coming a day where all things will be made new. And in your darkness, this time of trials and tribulations for some of our brothers and sisters in the world, will not have the policy. Your darkness, Maybe the Friday night and Saturday of the tomb. But Sunday coming. Now, I already said it before. A day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like a day. I don't know where in that time period you're going to fix. But our faithfulness isn't because our things are always good. Our faithfulness is in the midst of pain. And so she goes on. Early. The next morning, the family arose, worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home. And Elkanai made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, I'd love to say the confidence has just been nine months. I don't know if that's the case. Kind of gives the idea, but maybe not. In the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I've asked the Lord for him. Not only in our faithfulness do we need to trust the Lord in the midst of pain, we need to make a reminder of God's presence. The name Samuel does not mean God heard my prayer. But it sounds like the same word for God heard my prayer. And it's a word play. It's a paradox. It's the irony of things. But every time Hannah would utter the word Samuel, every time someone would utter the word Samuel, it is that she's hearing and they're hearing the reminder that God hears your prayers. In the darkness of judges, hope shines out. In the uh, devotions that you can get online, our website slash devotions, you can get on our faith life group or in the handout for you this morning. You, you are very free of times when something similar to this happened, where a birth, an unexpected birth out of barrenness, out of vulnerability, out of weakness takes place. And in Scripture, it's a reminder that God's not done yet. And so, throughout the whole life of Samuel, in this time of transition from the awfulness of the period of the judges until the greatness of the kings, and then even beyond, because the people reading this for the first time probably are in exile. They hear the word Samuel, and they remember it's a proclamation that God hears. God hears. God hears. God hears. So maybe what you and I ought to do 
is go to the God who hears. The God who, though there is darkness, though it may seem as if he is deaf, he is not. God hears the cries of his people. And so, if we were to walk through and we won't, not just this morning, this time is far surpassed. But if the people, as the people of God, were to go on, what they would find, what we find in the book of Samuel, is the beginnings, the foundation of every promise of the Messiah is found here in Samuel. We see the subtlety in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, every trait of Jesus Christ our Lord, that all the prophets would pick up on. As if intentionally, oh, God, you intentionally, you ask me. God is reminding the people of Israel, the people of the church today, that even when you ask the question, what is God up to? The answer is, God hears. A sin is coming. And life will change. And we don't know. Look, the people didn't know what was going to happen next. And God says, this time of transition, you will learn something you never thought you could learn. Because I you. We were probably never just thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the goodness which is you. Lord, we thank you that there is a redeemer. That we are not left wondering what you're going to do. But there is a redeemer who is Jesus Christ the Lord this day. So Lord, I ask that you would remind us that you hear. Lord, as we continue to worship through this song and beyond, that we would turn to you in our bitterness and pain. And that we would make reminders of your goodness and of your presence in the midst of the pain. So that we can tell a nation that needs it, a people that need it, that you hear. Not, not as an easy pattern, but we will sit and we will just be present. And we will pray the Spirit of all, including ourselves. I pray your Spirit upon us this time. That we would hear the words that you've spoken to the church this day. And we would be faithfully consistent to you. We pray this in the name of our names, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Will you stand.